0: Amen. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles please we turn to Matthew chapter 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 13. Let me encourage you to go to BethelbaptistSimcoe.ca and you can register for the Man Up Conference right there on the website as well as uh, you can you can pay for the registration fee. and when you show up that day, you won't have to worry about any of that. Also, if you have the church center app on your phone, you can go to our registrations and you can register through there. And I would encourage you to come. It's always a blessing, and it's a good time. And uh, we're looking forward to a great time this year. I would also encourage you to double check the times. As Brother Stone gets older, I think he makes, I think the early bird's 5:30 on Friday. It says on the website, so uh, let's just double check those times. But uh, his heart's in the right place, even though his head's kind of messed up. All right, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We actually, we we just met, uh, we were down in North Carolina and the preacher, uh, his mother-in-law is in his church. Can you imagine preaching to your mother-in-law all the time? And uh, she would corner my wife and talk and talk and talk, wouldn't she? Right? I mean, service would start. It wouldn't matter. Just choir singing. She'd stand there with her back turned talking to my wife and just enjoying fellowship. And uh, Brother Shirley leaned over to me and he says, he says, wonderful heart, crazy head. And that's what he said about his mother-in-law. So Matthew chapter 13, you shouldn't laugh in church. Listen, I, I want, you know, here's the thing. I, we, we don't come to church. For, for a circus atmosphere, but I want church to be a good time. I want to leave and say, man, I had a good time in the house of the Lord. I want my kids to think church is a good place to be and that we're not just a bunch of old codgers that don't ever smile, that we have a good time in church because we love the Lord. And so let's, let's set that example. Don't be afraid to laugh. And I know I'm not funny, but laugh anyway, all right? I'd appreciate that. Matthew, you laughed harder at that than you do my jokes. Matthew chapter 13 Matthew chapter 13, I want to preach this morning on the tares and the wheat, the parable of the tares and the wheat. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24, we find in Matthew chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us seven parables. There's nowhere else in the Bible that we find so many parables grouped together like this, but they're all kingdom parables. You say, what do you mean by that? The Lord Jesus Christ says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. And he says that four or five different times, but then he makes relationships to that in the parable of the sower, and then also in the parable of the wheat and the tares that we're about to look at this morning. So look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Listen, I want to learn more about the kingdom of heaven. I really do. And uh, the kingdom of heaven is important to God, and it ought to be important to us. And so let's, let's look what he has to say about this today, about the tares among the wheat. The Bible says in verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? He said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, But gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that you take this moment to quiet our hearts. Shut out all the cares of this world that we can focus on the word of God. And Lord, you've already given us a revealed word, the Bible. And I pray from your revealed word, you would give us something specific for our hearts today. Help us, Lord, to understand what the Spirit of God is speaking and teaching to us today. It's so, Lord, for that to happen, each of us must listen, have ears to hear. I pray that the Spirit of God would fill me and help me. I surrender to you. Speak to each of us, we pray. Well, will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we talk about these seven parables in the book of Matthew chapter 13 we read first of all the parable of the sower the parable of the sower is the longest of the parables and then we come to the second parable the parable of the tares that were sown among the wheat out of the seven parables Jesus explains two of them the others must have been more straightforward after the Lord gave explanation of the first two. But these two confused the disciples and Jesus would take them aside and he would explain to them the parable of the sower that the seed is the word of God and the, and the, 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 the ground is the soil is the world and how God would sow seed and some would fall among stony places and some by the wayside and some among the thorns but some would find good ground and take root. And now we read about the parable of the tares. There's a little bit of difference between the two. As we read the parable of the sower, we find that there's good seed in good and bad soil. But as we read about the parable of the tares, we read about good and bad seed all planted in good soil. And it's a bit of a riddle. And it's explained to us in verse 36. So if you'll turn there, we see why the Uh, explanation comes from the Lord to the disciples. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered, and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So now we're going to get some specifics. Who is sowing this good seed? It is the Son of Man. Understand this, that we are saved by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Amen. You cannot be saved apart from that incorruptible seed. The Bible says everything else perishes and fades away, but God's word is eternal. And so we are saved by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And the Bible also teaches us that Jesus is the word. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice he says the son of man or Jesus, as as we know in verse 36 or or verse uh, 37, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. I want you to mark these things in your mind. We're not going to come back to them too often. So the son of man is the sower. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. If you're a child of God today, that's you. The seed of God's word was sown upon your heart, and now it has sprung up, and you are now a child of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But uh, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You weren't born that way. We were children of disobedience. We were, the Bible, uh, Jesus was telling the Pharisees, he says, your father's the devil. We were children of darkness, but now we're children of the light. The Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That means he's made us alive and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's good news this morning. And so we were once like that, but God planted that seed in our lives, and now we became children of God. And so he says this good seed that the Lord has planted, we are the children of the kingdom. Now verse 38 says, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. I think that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If we were to drive and look at some fields when they're in their bloom, we would see a lot of crop, but we'd see some weeds out there, and we'd understand this parable very plainly, that those, the good seed and those things that are growing up and and what the farmer has intended are, are the children of men, are the children of God, and then we have the children of the devil, which is the bad seed, or the weeds, or the tares, as it says in this parable. And then the Bible says in verse 39, the enemy... That sowed them is the devil. The enemy is the devil. The wicked one is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, not the end of the church service, (laughs) not even the end of your life. That's the thing. Sometimes we we get into a service and our hearts get stirred and get moved and we think, oh, isn't this wonderful? We're going to take on a brand new world tomorrow. His mercies are new and, and everything will be bright and cheerful. No, evil still exists. God says at the end, he will gather together all in his barn. He'll separate the wheat from the chaff. As it says here, he will take the weeds or the tares and he'll bind them up and burn them, but gather his wheat into his barn. Not at the end of the service and not even at the end of your life. Evil always exists. Now look, it says in verse uh, 39, as we continue, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear let him hear it's interesting as the disciples were to hear these parables these two in particular caused them a lot of trouble and i want you to go back to the first verses that we looked at in verse 24 and examine with me some things that we need to understand about these tears this morning first of all i want you to note the reality of evil Do I really need to pound that home very much? Do we understand that we live in a wicked and adulterous generation? Do we understand that there's evil that exists in the world? Sometimes the problem is not that we recognize that evil exists. Sometimes we ask God, why? A lot of people will question God. If God is good, why? If God is good, why did this bad thing happen? Why was there an earthquake in Turkey and some 30,000 people have died? And why is there so much evil? And why is there so much bad? And and we read of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. The Bible says very plainly that evil men shall wax worse and worse. That's the reality. And that's what we are reminded of in this passage. In this parable of the sower that we talked about earlier, complications arise because of the soil. But in the parable of the wheat and the tares, complications arise because of this external factor. An enemy sows tares in the field. An enemy sows tares in the field. The parable of the sower is about converted and unconverted people in the church. We know that the word of God is sown and some finds good soil and some finds bad soil. Whether it's stony, whether it's thorns or whether it's the wayside, it's speaking of those who are saved or unsaved in the church. But the parable of the tares is about converted and unconverted or saved and unsaved people in the world. This parable is about the church in the world, not the world in the church. It teaches an important truth. Listen to this. Jesus reigns, but evil still exists. We have a hard time justifying that sometimes. Well, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus was teaching here. And I want to just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this evil idea, but I want you to, uh, we'll get to the second point quickly. But I want you to think about the reality of evil for a moment, if you will. Number one, re- evil is relentless. Evil is relentless. Notice what he says in verse 37. And I've, I've heard preachers use this as a rebuke against the church, and it never was meant to be that way by Jesus Christ. Notice, notice what it says in verse 37. Or Sorry. Wrong verse. Go back to verse 27. So the servants of the household came and said to him, Sir, didst not thou sow seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But notice what he says in verse uh, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came. We know from verses 27 to 28 that, that uh, the, uh, while they slept, or while an uh, the, the, the enemy has come and sown tares into the field. The master identifies that to his servants and says this is the, the work of the enemy. But notice he says in 25 that it happened while men slept. I've heard that as a rebuke against the church that we should never take a time off. But I want you to understand these were faithful servants. They were loyal to the master. They were offended that the crop had been damaged and they had worked a hard day and God has designed us for rest and so they were doing nothing wrong by resting. But in fact, what the message is trying to teach us this morning is that the enemy is relentless. Though we must rest, the devil never does. And at night while we sleep, he is still sowing his seeds, and he is still at work in this world. He is the prince of the power of the air, and he is constantly relentless in his work. The wicked one, in verse 39, is identified as Satan. Now listen, we are just reminded that it is relentless, but secondly, evil is rebellious. Notice what it says, if you will, in verse 41. In verse 41 the Bible says the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend them which do iniquity. Iniquity. Iniquity is the propensity to sin. It is the sin nature. We sin because we have a sin nature. And so uh, evil on uh, just at its core is rebellious in the sense that we have a sin nature. And so it continues on, tares will often grow independently and inevitably because of the fall, but in this parable, we are reminded that the enemy is sowing tares intentionally. Sowing tares in an enemy's field was a crime that was punishable under Roman law. As a matter of fact, it is believed that these seeds that Jesus is talking about were called darnel seeds. They were poisonous for animals and humans. As a matter of fact, they grew just as tall as wheat and they looked very similar and often were called fake wheat. They intertwined with the wheat, they were subversive. You see, seeds that God has sown become sons to advance the kingdom, but Satan sows tares to stop the sons of God to try to advance the kingdom. So we're talking about just evil for a moment by way of introduction, but then we see evil is restricted. Evil is restricted. I want you to understand this. This is important. This changed some of my thinking, to be honest with you. The seed grows despite the tears. The master was still expecting a harvest. He says, let them grow up together. You know, we live in a day and age, and and listen, I'm going to address this at at the end, so don't, don't get all excited and angry at me, all right? We sometimes make the issues of the world the main thing. Hear what I said? And we forget about nurturing the wheat. We're more concerned about weeds than we are wheat. I have no other commission in the Bible but to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. We... we, uh, We will preach God's honest truth about abortion. believe that with all my heart. And we will stand up against things that are wrong. We will earnestly contend for the faith. But I think sometimes we forget what the main thing is. And we're so busy arguing and fighting over issues in this world. Listen, can, can I ask you this? When did Jesus ever try to change a politician's mind? When did Jesus ever try to set the world straight? He said he made converts. Listen, I, I, I'm just going to be straight with you this morning. Justin Trudeau's problem is not that he's a liberal. He has an unregenerate heart. He's unsaved. And we sometimes look at the television and we hear him speak and we shake our heads and we get angry and we say, I just can't believe it. Why not? The world is going to act like the world. Pray for his soul. Let's hope one of those John Romans gets into his home and he reads the gospel message and, and he accepts Christ as his savior and his life has changed and his policies begin to follow that change. But I can promise you one thing, driving a truck to Ottawa or holding up a sign or all, maybe noble causes, but it's not going to change a thing when you have an unregenerate heart. That is our problem. The devil has sown tares. I was provoked in this thought because in this last week, Brother Stone, I'm sure you've, we were in the middle of it a little bit. There was a lot of controversy online among preachers. There was a lot of virtue signaling A lot of uh, pushing back and forth and anger. And I kind of get a kick out of it. Sometimes we have preachers who they will preach against the cancel culture. But then it's okay for them to cancel and call it separation. And they fight and they're pulling back and forth. And I had this thought. I wonder how many people sat back and watched those exchanges and went, I'm so sick of you pulling all these weeds that you forgot about the wheat. I'm not going to come to church tomorrow. I'm not going to bother anyone. I'm sick of you guys fighting all the time. The wheat needs to be nourished. Notice, notice the second thing. Evil is a reality, but the seed will grow despite the tears. Listen, if, if we think that Satan can come along and sow a few tears and overthrow the will of God, we, are, we have a real small God. Read, read the back of the book. We win. Read, read a little bit more about our future and understand that, that God is in control and the devil will have his day, but he'll be cast into a lake of fire, forever destroyed from our presence. We need not fear what the devil can do. But I want you to focus on this, and, and this is really the thrust of the message. I want, to see, I want you to see the response to evil. The response to evil. I think it's safe to say that an evil thing took place. An enemy came in and he sowed tares into this field and sought to destroy this man's crop. But there was a response, and we see, first of all, the servant's response in verse 27. Notice what it says, verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? I want you to notice, first of all, there are assumptions. The first question is rhetorical. Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? They knew that, didn't they? They knew that? Sure they did. But it brought up another question. The second question is based upon the first. From whence then hath it tares? Can you imagine that? Here's the thing: we do the exact same thing. When something bad happens or evil takes place in the world, we question the master. Think about that. They're saying, God, are you good, but not powerful enough to take care of this? Or God, are you powerful enough, but just not good and don't care? The servants knew exactly. Master, did you not sow good seed? They're questioning the master. I can't tell you how many times I've done that in my heart. When something so trivial and small doesn't go my way, and I said, "Lord, what's going on here?" I prayed and I sought and I begged and I pleaded, and God, why? And that evil comes into my heart, and we question the Master's goodness and His power. So they made some assumptions: Is God powerful? Is He good? But notice His answer in verse twenty-eight, and this is telling. He said unto them. An enemy hath done this. I want you to notice something. It's an answer, not an explanation. Here's the difference. Doubt demands an explanation. Trust accepts God's answer and leaves the details to him. That's the difference. Sometimes we say, why? Why? And God gives an answer that we don't understand, but we just need to learn how to trust it. Sometimes it's just knowing when the difference is. God doesn't owe us an explanation, but when he gives us an answer, trust that he is working all things together for good. So we see their assumptions, but we see their activism next. Notice what it says in verse 28. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? If this is not your will, if this is not your intention, let us fix it. And the master says, no. No. Isn't it interesting how sometimes the parables go back and forth a little bit? We read about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the, kind of the moral of the story is there, stand up and do something. But the parable, the moral of this parable is sit there and do nothing we would get in a whole lot less trouble when we learn to act and when we learn to wait on the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. Wait on the Lord. I don't want you to do anything. The disciples were excited. They thought they could finally do something. These, these servants of the master, we can go and help in this situation. But I want you to turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. And I want you to turn there. I'm not just going to quote it because you've got to see it to believe it. This is incredible. Luke chapter 9. How many of you are activists? I would say that the men often are, right? Men, we want to fix things. If something's wrong and there's a problem, we want to, we want to fix it. We, we don't like leaving it lying there. And it bothers us and it, it just kind of grates on us a little bit. If, we can, if it's out of our control and out of our hands, you know, that's, that's just the man's nature. We have to learn that we have a God that is in control of all things, and that his will is more important for our lives. And notice in Luke chapter 9, if you will, in verse 54, the Bible says, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, The Lord Jesus Christ was on his way to Jerusalem and he was about to enter into a city of Samaria and he was rejected. He was not welcomed there. And the Bible says, and when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. James and John, who five minutes ago couldn't even cast out demons... But just a week ago, couldn't heal that little boy. Now they're going to call down fire from heaven. Don't you know who you're with? You're with God. You're with Jesus. And you're saying, God, why don't you let me fix this for you? It's incredulous to me to think that that's how we behave sometimes. God, let me fix it. And in Matthew chapter 13, that's what the servants are saying to the master. Let us fix it. Listen, it is not our job to fix society. It is our job to reach the lost. Think about this. You can go out and you can labor and you can strive and you can work in the world. Or you can work for the kingdom. And here's the good thing. When you work for the kingdom, it has a king. And his name is Jesus. That's who we serve. I'm not, I'm not promoting at all today that we just curl up into this church building and we put a fence around the property and we never impact our... We're going to talk about being salt and light in a moment. But I'm saying sometimes I think we're out of balance. What I saw in the, among the preachers this week was out of balance. There was warring and fighting amongst us, and the Bible tells us in James that comes from our own lusts. And we ought to be careful because we're neglecting the wheat. I want you to see, secondly, not just the servant's response. I want you to see the Savior's response. Look at verse 29. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. The master knows the difference between reaction and response. Think about it. I just want that to settle in your minds for a moment. The master knows the difference between reaction and response. A response is measured. A reaction is instantaneous. In our anger, we lash out. But if we would take the time to pray about it and think about it and give it to the Lord, perhaps we still need to talk to that person, but without anger. And so the Lord knows the difference between response and reaction. He knows the difference between the good and the best. He knows the difference between the immediate and the ultimate. There were two different perspectives in this parable. Number one, the servants were concerned about the weeds, but the master was concerned about the wheat. I don't want you to ever lose sight of that. It's unfortunate that some of those that go out with good intentions, and listen, I'm all for, we are still citizens of Canada, and we vote, and we, we want our voice to be heard, and I understand that. But I think sometimes it's harmful that when we do so in such a way, we lose our testimony and we damage the wheat. One day when you die, do you want your children to be able to stand up and say, they were wonderful activists. They fought for this and they fought for that cause and they did all these things. Or would you rather them say, they look like Jesus? They modeled Christ in my life. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, one saved politician will do more than 30,000 politicians that we chant and scream at. They need the gospel. This is not revolutionary thinking, this is biblical. We are to preach the gospel to every creature. We are to take them, into the high, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them. problem is our message is not compelling because we're so out of balance. Preach Jesus, lift up Jesus, tell them about Jesus. I wondered, Pastor Stone, how many of those preachers that were virtue signaling would get in their pulpit today and pound their pulpit about that truth and make themselves look good because, hey, I'm taking a stand and there's lost people in the congregation who go out and never hear the gospel. I'm here to tell you, the most important message we could ever preach is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And friend, you say, who's a sinner? We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, praise God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you don't know him today, we want to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. Because more than anything, that will change your life. Let us help you today. And so they heard the answer. And they wanted to get active. But this master said no. No. I'm concerned about the wheat. Sometimes we get all wound up about pulling the tares of this world that we damage the wheat. We weaken our ability to influence with the gospel. We need to be careful not to classify or condemn or cancel anyone too soon for what we think looks like tares. For it in fact might be just weak wheat. Moses killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And reading that, we would say, he's a tear. No, he was weak wheat. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and we'd say, oh, he's a, he's a tear sent by the devil. No, he was part of God's kingdom. Yes, he sinned, there's no excuse for it, but he was weak wheat. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. We would write him off. We discipline him out of our churches. And listen, I, there's no doubt in my mind that when there's habitual sin and, and, and is open sin and it is shame to the cause of Christ and it is a reproach upon God's church, then as a church we are to take appropriate stands against sin and, and discipline as the Bible instructs us to. But friends, listen, Peter was just weak wheat. And here's the good news: He went out and he wept bitterly. He repented, and he was restored. And if Peter had not done that, we would have never heard his message on the day of Pentecost, and thousands were saved. But I want you to see, thirdly, this morning... By by the way, you you were once there, right? We were all once children of the devil, but now, by his grace, we've been quickened, made alive. I want you to see, thirdly, the removal of evil. The Bible tells us in verse 24, it is a parable of the kingdom, but in verse 30, it is also a parable of judgment. A parable of judgment. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. There's no easy way to say this. We see the parable and the tares, we think, okay, they're burning up weeds. No, the Bible says the tares were the children of the devil. They were people. We still believe in a place called hell because the Bible says it. I'll just be honest with you. I don't like the idea of it. I don't like the idea of a place called hell, a place burning with fire and brimstone that one day will give up its dead and be cast into the lake of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't like the idea of that, but I know it's necessary. It's necessary. Because God, though he is loving and merciful and kind, he is holy and he is just and he is righteous. And how did he balance that? By allowing all of his wrath to be put upon his son, Jesus Christ. He took our place. Judgment is coming and we will stand before God and we will give answer. And the only answer that will matter is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? It is a parable of judgment I want you to notice in verse 39 that the servants were not allowed to pull the tears initially or ultimately all the judgment was left to God I'm, I'm so glad I'm so glad I don't have to go around and figure out you're saved and you're not saved and you're saved and you're, I'm glad that's not my job I'm glad there's a book in heaven the lamb's book of life I'm glad my name is written there you say well it's, don't you know if my name is written there? I can make an educated guess, but until I get to heaven and see you there, I don't know for sure. Until the roll is called up yonder and I hear your name called, I don't know for sure. The Spirit bears witness with your heart. He doesn't tell me. By their fruits you shall know them, and I can examine the fruit of your life, and I can see whether or not there's tares in there. But sometimes those tares look just like wheat. I'm so glad the judgment is left to the Son. The servants were not allowed to pull the tares. All the judgment was left to God. And he said, but why does God delay? Why is there evil in the world? Why? Why are we waiting? Here's why. And don't ever forget this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, I I hear these preachers all the time. Well, God doesn't come soon. He's going to have to apologize to Sodom. God doesn't have to apologize to anybody. I remember a few years ago hearing about another church and some folks in the church got upset with the pastor. And he had... Showing some grace to a family who was trying to help them along. And they said, no, this is we should be tossing them out on their ear. And this is what should happen. And they were angry about it. And so they, they called the assistant pastor into a meeting with the pastor. And the assistant pastor says, if my pastor is going to err on the side of grace, I'm going to err with him. I think that's a pretty good policy. All the judgment is left to God. Now, we are to be judges of other things. I get that. Don't don't get me wrong. Don't leave here and say, well, we're not to judge. No, we, we ought to show judgment every single day. What is right and what is wrong, what is evil, what is good. We have to make judgment calls. I'm talking about judging the souls of men. That is left to God. But here's the thing. If I don't truly know who's saved, we ought to just keep preaching the gospel. Sowing the seed telling others about Jesus Christ. I, I've told you about going to Lancaster Baptist Church in, in California where my son works and, and uh, going into the bookstore with Rob and Judy and my wife. And hi, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. That's my wife. This is one of our deacons and his wife. And for the next 40 minutes, Rick Bishop gave us the gospel. And he kept saying, don't you go to hell for nobody. Don't you go to hell for anything. You cry out to Jesus and you be saved. He didn't care that I'd been pastoring for 25 years. He didn't care that they were deacons and servants in the church. It didn't matter to him. You're going to hear the gospel. And there was a lineup at the, at the counter and people wanting to buy stuff. And he didn't care. I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know who the wheat and the tares are. But one day God is coming. And he will gather it all together and he will remove evil. But for now It exists. Here's the moral. How does this affect us? How does this affect us? Well, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, we are to be salt and light. And some of you might be objecting to my message and saying, well, pastor, we're, we're to be the light of the world. So we ought to get out there and march and we ought to do this. And I'm not telling you not to do those things. I'm just telling you do it with grace in your hearts. Do it to exemplify Jesus. He said, well, I'm a light. Well, then Shine let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven consider are you bringing glory to god you say i'm i'm salt then preserve be a seasoning let the world see that you're different let your light shine lovingly teach and preach the truth 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Listen, we, we're so messed up in our doctrine today that we go out and we say, Well, you shouldn't be doing this. And they say, Why? And we go, Oh, I don't know because God said. Where did God say it? Book, chapter, verse. Show me what you believe. Tell me about a Savior that died for me. Let me know what it means to have eternal life. Are you able to give an answer for the hope that lieth within you? I think sometimes we're, um, I'm right there, Bible illiterate. We go to fight the issues in the world and we don't have an ounce of scripture behind us. Know the word, preach the word. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. It is our only rule for faith and practice. It's it, it's our authority. But can I say this? In all of this, no matter what you do tomorrow, Focus on helping grow wheat. Do you get the illustration? We get out of balance when we're so focused on everything else and we forget the wheat. The master said, "Let's let's no, no leave the tares right now because when you pull them up, you're going to hurt my wheat. Don't hurt my wheat. The wheat are the sons of God." I think sometimes people fall through the cracks and we're, we're so busy out here fighting all the other things that we forget the wheat. Connection group leaders, that's, that's, your, that's your purpose in our church is to help grow wheat. Sunday school teachers, help grow wheat. Bus workers, help grow wheat. Listen, some seven-year-old kid that gets on the bus on Sunday, they don't care about your political stand on some issue. They need to hear about Jesus. Those, a lot of those kids aren't loved at all. They need to know that there's a God that loves them, that there's a Sunday school teacher that loves them. The servants were worried about the weeds, and the master was worried about the wheat. So let's make our primary focus. Uh, maybe somebody has said it this way keep the main thing the main thing. I remember when Baptist Bible College was around, the first duty of preachers is to what? Preach the word, not your opinion. Not your political stance, but the Word of God. We often stand against ideas and philosophies and sin, and that's wonderful, but we ought to keep in mind we're not standing against people. People need the Lord. Let me say this, and I'm done. The next time you get angry with somebody, get angry about their idea, their philosophy, their sinful behavior but make sure you love the sinner. Make sure you remember that you were once a child of the darkness, but now you've been translated in the kingdom of his dear son. And that they too, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, can have their lives changed. Let's pray. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Father, I feel like I fumbled around this morning and struggled, but I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take the thoughts of the Scripture, and apply them to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to understand that I believe the Lord was speaking about having the right balance. Evil will exist. It always has. 3,300 years ago, the world thought it couldn't get worse when Pharaoh was slaying all the babies, the Israeli babies, the children of Abraham the lord it has 2000 years ago herod would do the same perhaps in the dark ages people thought it would never get worse and here we stand today thinking that the world has never been worse than it is today i don't know if it is or isn't but this i know we're to let our light shine the world needs to see jesus not more political grandstanding not more activism There's somebody that's going to walk into this church tonight, Wednesday night, next Sunday that needs to know that God loves them. They're looking for a refuge, a haven in a storm. I pray that they find it among the people of God who are concerned about wheat, about a good harvest of people growing in the Lord. Help us to focus on that today to make that our priority. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God has spoke to your heart, the altar is open even now. And Could I encourage this? I'm not saying to throw away things that we're concerned about in the world, but I'm saying are our priorities in the right order. Paul says I knew nothing among you save Christ crucified. I just I just preach Christ. I just knew the gospel. I know I get caught up in the news. Get caught up in the issues of the day. But sometimes we allow it to take our focus off the main thing. Satan has sown those tares for that very purpose servants were distracted they were concerned about the weeds but to God that he'd burn our hearts about the weed maybe there's one here today say pastor I'm not sure I'm saved if I were to die today I don't know where I'd spend eternity and I just took a minute or so and touched on the gospel we'd like to take a few more minutes and take a bible and show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father, but through him. He is the only way of salvation. If you could be saved or go to heaven in any other way, God would have never let his son die. You wouldn't let your son die if there was some other way. And neither would God. There's one that said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out, but would you slip up your hand? Is there one.